Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today let the word go forth fool me once are you fired up if i'm not a crook are you ready to go shame on shame on you it's abe lincoln's top hat hosted by ben kissel boom you can't get fooled again Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here. Travis Morningstar is dead. No, I'm just joking. What a funny joke it was. I'm in Los Angeles. Travis Morningstar is in New York. So today's episode, it's going to be me speaking with Mary Kelly. I haven't had Mary on the show in a long time, and I always love having Mary on. She is crucial to the last podcast network. So everyone, today, say thank you, Mary, for everything that she does and then she'll feel it in the collective unconscious. Oh, wow. I feel so warm inside. Thank you, guys. You absolutely should. So today we're going to talk about uh, the impeachment inquiry. How exciting was that? How ex- It was must-see television. That's at least how they want to sell it. Uh, it was interesting anyway. Uh, there was the ambassador Yavavonich. Yavonich. Close. Did yes. you nail it? Did, you, did I get it? You're closer than usual. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, she testified, so we're going to talk about what happened with all that. We're going to talk about the key people, the players in this drama, this saga, as television news, uh, and really media in general likes to sell it, almost as if it's a television show that, you know, it's like we're living in a reality, but at the same time, it's not. Yeah, very. Uh, California's very own uh, Representative Nunes suggested that um, the whole inquiry was invalid because it wasn't getting enough ratings. They so, need more ratings. You know? The ratings, that's what matters the most. So we're going to talk about that. And also, I want to talk about this story that is going way under the radar that needs to be discussed. Uh, listeners of this show, you know. I have a soft spot in my heart, and I know the listeners of this show have a big old soft spot in their heart as well. For DACA recipients, uh, children of deferred action for childhood arrivals, uh, that's what DACA stands for. This was a policy that was implemented uh, under Barack Obama. It gave nearly a million children who came here uh, because their parents came here, uh, no fault of their own. Many of them were under the age of six years old. Children, babies. The Supreme Court is going to take up DACA and decide if it's constitutional or not constitutional. And as we've seen with recent Supreme Court nominees and the Supreme Court as it is now, a solid 6-3 conservative court, DACA recipients, they are uh, once again being used as um, scapegoats or being used as political ping-pongs in this ridiculous volley of just America 
losing or forgetting what America is all about, which is, of course, an immigrant's story. So we're going to talk about that as well, because it definitely needs to get much, much more attention. And here at Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, you know what we're going to do, Mary? What? We're going to give it attention. Oh, That's exactly it. And we also, I'm also going to talk about right now, going to talk a little bit about Barack Obama. He's back in the news. Didn't you miss him? Oh, every day. Every day. So Barack Obama, uh, this is the first story we're going to go with today. He was speaking to a lot of Democratic donors. These are the Democratic elites. These are the Democrats who are horrified of someone like an Elizabeth Warren, horrified of someone like a Bernie Sanders. These are establishment Democrats that are concerned that the party has lost its way, even though you could argue that this is really what the party has stood for for a long time, populism and you know economic uh, mobility when it comes to upward mobility. We live in a country right now that is ex- we have a stagnant middle class, a shrinking middle class, and as we talk about when it comes to trickle-down economics, the only thing that trickles down is the cost. So people are pissed off. Mm, I've noticed. Yeah. Have you noticed? I've noticed. Yes. People are quite upset, and that's what the Democratic Party is attempting to reel in. It's what Barack Obama, or it's what uh, Donald Trump, rather, did a great job of understanding. uh, Donald Trump's entire presidential campaign in 2016 was like, America sucks, and you are getting the shaft, and everything sucks, and this country is burning. I believe his, what did he call his uh, inauguration speech? American devastation or something like that, or American... It was like something so intense and so dark and just like Sith Lord-like American Carnage. I believe it was called the American – the name – he entitled his inauguration speech American Carnage, talking about violence and blaming it on immigrants and doing all of this stuff. But the thing that he did – hit on that was correct was economic devastation uh, communities feeling like they're nothing nothing is getting done they got potholes all over their streets dominoes is there to save the day though thank god <laughs> dominoes is filling the potholes with all of their thin crust pizza thank god for dominoes but that is a sign that our country is falling apart when a fast food pizza place is the one who's like i'm gonna fix your potholes because city government Federal government, state government, no government seems to be able to figure out how to fill in a pothole that has uh, that with, with with a bunch of concrete. So, <laughs> when when Barack Obama talks about uh, reassuring rather these these uh, Democratic elite donors that the the party is not lost, the party is still an establishment party. I think that he is missing the mark a little bit. Now, the context of what he was saying, the the quote that's sort of being talked about and sort of thrown around is how Barack Obama warned the candidates not to go too far left. Mm -hmm. So this is a little bit of the quote, the elongated quote, because, of course, on Twitter, everyone's just like, they just they they cut it all apart. Right. That's what they do, Mary. Let's make it snappy. Let's make it snappy. Let's have it fit in our tweets so then we can get likes and retweets. So this is Barack Obama. Uh, He says, for those who are getting stressed about robust primaries, I just have to remind you, I had a very robust primary as well. He goes on to say, I'm confident that at the end of the process, we will have a candidate that has been tested. And then he talks about uh, concerns as far as uh, the political identity of the party. He, He says, 
uh, certain left-leaning Twitter feeds or the activist wing of our party, even as we push the envelope and we are bold in our vision, we also have to be rooted in reality. He goes on to say, the average American doesn't think we have to completely tear down the system and remake it. Now, I don't know what he means by average American. He's talking to a group of very wealthy donors, very wealthy Democratic donors. Uh, they hang out in hot tubs. I was hanging out with them in hot tubs yesterday. Oh. I, I don't want to get into details, but we ate pizza. Oh, nice. See, I always Ooh. thought that a higher class of food up in, in the, the, Hollywood, the Hills? Hollywood elite. No, no, it's still pizza. That keeps them, remi- that reminds them of their past. Mm. Or maybe they were rich their entire lives, which also happens because it seems as if money is constantly staying with the same families for generations and generations and then those families get dumber and dumber and i'm in hollywood so i've seen it i see it all the time um but the he talks about the average american now what is the average american that's what i was thinking about last night after i took a little bit of mushrooms and the problem is no one really knows what the answer is you know if you think about the average american in his context he's the president of the united states so I would assume Barack Obama means the average American is probably a college-educated person who, you know, is relatively socially engaged, maybe has a family, um, probably eighty-five to 150000 bucks a year. Like, I would assume that's what his idea of an average American is, uh, is, and I'm just making that assumption. But I don't know if that's necessarily the case. If you think about the average American as, as I see it, it seems like the average American is super pissed off and does sort of want to not overthrow the government. They they do seem to want to remake uh, Washington. They do want to have massive reforms. That's why Bernie Sanders took off so hardcore in 2016. That's why Donald Trump took off so hardcore in 2016. That's why Elizabeth Warren is sort of trying to split the baby a little bit and you know kind of get that leftist populism message uh, while not necessarily going quite as far as Bernie Sanders on certain issues. But I just feel like he's the average American is super upset, and I don't fully understand if he understands how angry they truly are. So the Democratic Party, I think, needs to embrace what Donald Trump leaned right into embracing, which was the rage, which was the anger, which, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm a positive person, but they need to politically engage those people so then they have a place to go. And then in the polls, and then when, when it comes down to voting, they'll go to the polls, which is exactly where we need them to go in the first place. Right. So I feel like Barack Obama, you know, while reassuring these Democratic donors, is underestimating the amount of the amount of frustration, the amount of anger. I mean, we have an education system right now that is just completely falling apart for multiple reasons. I mean, public education in this country is underfunded. Why is our public school system so flawed? It's because how much money a school gets is dependent on how much money the people in that zip code make, right? So if you have a poor-ass area, you're going to have a poor-ass school. And get your wealthy-ass area, they're going to have a nice school with a, with a volleyball court. Isn't that exciting? Or a swimming pool. Or a swimming pool and a tennis court. God knows what. So we need to completely, when it comes to remaking our system, that needs to be remade because that is a mistake. That is wrong. We should not have uh, lower income communities uh, suffering because they just don't have money at home. This is how you have systemic poverty. That's what's going on in our country right now with millions and millions of Americans dropping out of the middle class and becoming part of the poverty class, which is what we want to stop. So Part of me just feels like Barack Obama trying to reassure these Democratic donors didn't do the Democratic Party any favors, and I think he's wrong. 
I think he is completely wrong when it comes to the average American not wanting to remake the system. Because if you look at the most successful political campaigns of the past four years, on a federal level, on a national level anyway, it's definitely predicated on remaking the entire system. Right. Well, don't you think that maybe um, he's trying to push back? I feel like the Democratic Party is having an issue with larger donors because of the fact that the most, I think, successful in the terms of grabbing the attention of youth and the majority of Democratic voters are people who are advocating strong taxation of the wealthy. And do you think that he's trying to discourage those wealthy donors from turning tail and going to the other side of the aisle due to their interest in keeping their taxes low? Because, for example, Bill Gates recently came out and he is a strong previously had been a strong proponent of increasing his taxation and he's pushing back against Elizabeth Warren and other Bernie Sanders and it's their plans almost for like increased taxation. It's almost like they don't really mean it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when Bill Gates is like, yeah, I would love to, you know, give more to, you know, so we can, you know, fix our roads, fix our schools, fix God knows what's going on in your local community right now. And then when their feet are held to the fire, they're like, it's a little hot. It's a little bit warm. I was thinking the fire was going to be colder. I don't like this, and so I'm going to go the other way. But if Bill Gates wants to go and vote for Donald Trump, they should just go and vote for Donald Trump. Mm. What is this billionaire class? There is what, there's like, how many billionaires are in America right now? I'm going to guess, Mary's going to look this up. I'm assuming right now in America, there are 2,000 billionaires. 607. There are 607 billionaires. That's up from 404 in 2010. Look at that. That's that is people getting out of poverty. Finally, those multimillionaires were able to become you know what, billionaires. You know what they're doing? They're pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Bootstraps. Mm -hmm. I've heard that because everyone has bootstraps. Right. You know when you when you wake up in the morning, you you put on your boots. Uh huh. There are six hundred billionaires in this country. What are we afraid of? Like, what is the fear? I know they got the money. I understand. They can do a lot of ad buys, as Michael Bloomberg and Tom Steyer are proving. They can buy a lot of ad time, and they can put themselves on television whenever the hell they want. It helps when you own a media company like Bloomberg. But why do we have to kowtow every time a billionaire's feelings are getting hurt? Like, what is – like, this is – Barack Obama ran on the message of hope and change. That was the whole point was change and hope. And nothing really happened. Obviously, we got gay marriage. That was great. The Supreme Court decision uh, that allowed that was wonderful. Joe Biden definitely helped uh, push that forward. But when it comes to overall systemic change in our country, the First Step Act, that's under Donald Trump. That's Democrats and Republicans coming together for the First Step Act when it comes to criminal justice reform. Obama did do some good stuff regarding crack cocaine, you know, because that was five times more punished uh, than powder cocaine. He did do some good things on criminal justice reform. But the entire campaign was predicated on the idea of change. And so for him to now come forward in front of these wealthy donors and just be like, okay, pump the brakes. The average American doesn't want any of that. The, the average American wants to keep the status quo going strong. Mm. No one wants that. No one wants that. The only reason that Joe Biden is doing as well as he is, first of all, he's also slipping dramatically, is because... He does have the ability, I think, to get that middle 30 percent, 
the moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans. I do think that he has that ability to get the suburbs. But I also think Elizabeth Warren has that ability to get the, to get the suburbs. So I don't think it's just uh, mutually exclusive. I don't think that Biden is the only one that's going to be able to get disaffected Republicans and then somehow be able to, you know, unite the Democratic base, even if he does get someone like a Stacey Abrams or if he does put someone like a Cory Booker on his ticket. Uh, or maybe it is a Biden war and who the hell knows. But this idea that Obama is putting forward that Americans do not want a drastic change, I think is just wrong. And one of the reasons that we got Donald Trump was because Barack Obama promised a lot, delivered a little. And then that's why people said, well, both sides suck. And every single time that Donald Trump would talk about how government is corrupt and how government's horrible and how no one's been able to get the job done. People were like, yeah, he's right. And yes, he's a total piece of shit, but I guess he's going to go throw a hand grenade in the whole thing. And how do we get to the point where Americans were ready to throw a hand grenade in the entire political process was because they listened to rhetoric. Politicians didn't back it up with their actions and people pay attention. People do pay attention. So I think Barack Obama, he's a producer at Netflix now. Thank God. You know, we need to hear meetings, taking meetings here in, in Hollywood. He's, yeah. he's just, you know, he's doing, Jimmy Carter just built his last house on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. But Barack Obama, he is going <laughs> to be producing documentaries. Thank God for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think he misses the mark when it comes to this conversation. And again, it's because he's in front of his wealthy uh, donors. And uh, they're the most sensitive class of people in this country are the rich. Well, here's the thing. Um, I would say that the, what I, my interpretation of Obama's speech was, Let's just say the inner machinations of the Democratic Party has not always been in their own best interest. And I think that with um, Biden running in particular, I feel like the whole impetus behind Biden's run has been like, hey, you remember how you felt when Barack Obama was running for president? We're, you know, how LaCroix kind of tastes like a fruit. Biden right. is like the LaCroix version of Obama. Is Ooh, what I like he's the way capturing. you say LaCroix. Mm. LaCroix. There it's very, go. very classy. Thank you. But you know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah, I he's agree. trying to capture and he's trying to operate within a dynamic that no longer exists in this country Absolutely. because he's not uh, Biden is not running in 2016. You know, he's running for 2020 and 2020 is a very different landscape than even four years ago, Abs- let alone eight years ago. Oh, com- it is. This world has we've like. Light years ahead of where it was in 2008. I don't know ahead necessarily, but light years different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Divergent, arguably. Yes, uh, than in 2008. I completely agree. But as I mentioned with Stacey Abrams, and I put this tweet out a long time ago, and if it turns out to be true, I'm going to gloat. But I said, you? if you, I, I don't gloat. I'm not a gloater. Mm-hmm. No, I'm a bloater. <laughs> um, but if it turns out that Joe Biden does pick Stacey Abrams, I have a tweet from almost a year ago uh-huh. saying that. And this is what Barack Obama had to say because he was being interviewed by Stacey Abrams. He says uh, that she is on the short list for vice presidential candidates. And you know what he said? Mm-hmm. I love me some Stacey Abrams. There you go. So there you go. Barack Obama approved. He got one thing right. I think Stacey Abrams is a great politician, and she did a wonderful job giving the rebuttal to Donald Trump's State of the Union address for mm-hmm. the Dems, which is a very difficult position. Between this and your deep throat insider convo last <sighs> week, you I really know. are on the pulse, Ben. Hey, buddy, you don't got to tell me. I'm living it. <laughs> I am living it every day. 
When I talk about Stamps.com, I always wonder who in the world still goes to the post office and why. Stamps.com brings the post office right to you. No need to interrupt your workday to fight traffic to get to the post office, especially now during the holidays when the post office is extra busy with people sending holiday cards and gifts. That's why you need Stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do at Stamps.com. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. I personally love Stamps.com because it brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. And there's nothing more exciting than that. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With my promo code TOPAT, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Top Hat. That's Stamps.com. Enter Top Hat. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Okay, let's talk about the Supreme Court and what they are doing regarding DACA. Is that a good conversation? Yes, absolutely. I'd say it's an important conversation. It's an important conversation. And let me know what you think about what we just talked about regarding Barack Obama. Uh, is Is he right? Is he wrong? I just feel like he might be missing the mark a little bit. The the last candidate that tried to use his rhetoric was sort of Beto Mm O'Rourke. Remember, he was just speaking in massive platitudes and just like, I don't know, just speaking in this sort of authoritarian, not authoritarian, authoritative, um, waspy, like, my, my words are gracing your heads kind of way. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but he knew how to skateboard, Ben. Well, whatever. He just ruined his political career. <laughs> but anyway, that was Barack, Beto was trying to be Barack 2.0. And uh, going back to how the world has changed, we saw what happened regarding that. Okay, let's move on here to the Supreme Court. They may let Donald Trump end DACA. Uh, this is absolutely a, a devastating, devastating turn of events for all DACA recipients. Again, uh, these are children. Uh, that were brought here, their parents came here illegally, sure, that happens. Uh, You cannot hold children responsible for their parents' actions. That's a cornerstone of our country. We don't have a caste system. We allow people to theoretically move up in this country regardless of the sins of their parents. We don't punish generations like they do in certain countries, uh, certain theocracies. We let people be autonomous beings and we allow them to thrive in this country regardless of what their parents did. 
Polls show that the vast majority of Americans believe immigration is a good thing. Uh, this is in the past two years. This was a Gallup poll. Three quarters of the respondents uh, said that immigration is generally good. By a double-digit margin, Americans are more likely to say that immigrants help the economy rather than hurt it. But what is the big difference when it comes to Republicans? When it comes to Republicans, 75% of Republicans believe that illegal immigration is a very, very big problem, and only 19% of Democrats believe that illegal immigration is a very big problem. Now, obviously, we want people to come here legally. Uh, we need to have pathways to citizenship. That's the one issue that I have with uh, when it comes to the Republican Party, not the one issue, one of the many issues I have when it comes to the Republican Party, specifically under Donald Trump's reign. When it comes to them under Donald Trump's reign on immigration, they talk about coming here legally and then they constantly close any option for people to come here legally, right? So you have a situation where it's like get in line and it's like, where's the door? They are limiting ways to become a United States citizen. And this country is big. We can take in some folks. We drive all across this country. Ohio is empty. Go to Ohio. Yes, you're gonna be freezing for seven months out of the year, but you will be here in America, which is probably going to be better than whatever war-torn country you're fleeing from. And when I say war-torn country, I also mean Mexico, because Mexico, make no, don't, don't get anything crooked on that. Mexico is in a war, and they have been in a war for a long time. In 2016, I believe, it was the second most murders. The first uh, that led in murders was Syria. So it was Syria, they had, which is, you know, there's there's a lot of violence going on there. I've heard. That was a violent, that was number one. Good job, Syria. And then number two for violence was Mexico. So people are fleeing these countries all over South America. They're fleeing uh, horrible, horrible situations, trying to get a little help here in America. And America, what is predicated again on immigration for a great workforce, uh, just to create who we are as a country, immigrants matter. My father being an immigrant himself, of course, from Germany, slightly different than South America. Although, ironically, that's where a lot of Germans ended up going. So when it comes to DACA recipients, this is one of the areas where the, U the U.S. was like, hey, we're going to create a, a window, an opportunity for you. You're 700,000 people, almost a million people. We know that you came here. Uh, with no fault of your own, we're going to create a pathway to citizenship. These people that are enrolled in DACA, they have to be employed. They go to school. There's like a lot of rules. Uh, there's a lot of regulations that most teenagers don't have to go with or older adults don't have to go with. It's hard to become a DACA recipient. These kids registered with the government. They did everything right. Uh, they put their names, their information, their addresses. If ICE wants to go get them, they know exactly where the hell they are. And for the Supreme Court to potentially, and for Donald Trump to definitely want to undermine DACA and undermine the people who did it right, then we talk about why don't people come forward? Why don't we have, how do we have all these people, these illegal immigrants, hiding in, in the cracks? Because if they come forward, even if the government does have a program for a brief history of time, for a brief moment in time, next thing you know, an administration comes in and completely takes the rug out from underneath them. And then they are totally and utterly screwed because they are completely registered with the government. Right. So if you're an undocumented person right now in this country, first of all, these huge corporations have been using their labor for years and years and years. Look at a field. You don't see a lot of six foot seven gingers out there working. 
the fact that they have been used and then now are still just constantly under stress when it comes to being deported, when it comes to uh, just having no legal rights, if you're if you're a victim of rape, if you're a victim of domestic violence, if you're if you're a victim of any kind of crime, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You can't go to the police because you're a criminal in the eyes of the police. So this is extremely worrisome to me. Uh, and the Supreme Court, being what the Supreme Court is right now, makes me think that DACA recipients might be the next on the line to go. Well, also, one of the huge problems here that I feel like is kind of not discussed as much, although obviously there's more pressing things to discuss, is that DACA is a renewing program. So you sign up for it and then you renew every two years. And you have a separate renewal process for being able to live in the United States and being able to work in the United States. And those dates often don't um, aren't on the same schedule. So right now there's a huge population of people. What is it like in uh, about... 200,000 people right now set to expire who Mm -hmm. are in positions where they were born in the United States. English is their primary language. They are completely naturalized. They've never lived in Mexico, or if they did, they were infants. And they're looking at a situation where maybe they're working a job and they don't know if they'll legally be able to work that job anymore in whenever DACA expires. Yep. And it's all precipitated on this upcoming trial. It really is. This is it, it breaks my heart to think about the stress level uh, that these people must be going through right now, living in this purgatory when it comes to nationality. And, the, you know, we talk about privilege in this country a lot, economic privilege, racial privilege, gender privilege, weight privilege, because those thin people have it too good and they've had it too good for too long. I don't like them, Mary. I don't mm-hmm. like them one bit. This is but the, this, the, this is this is Los Angeles Ben speaking. I know. But these, but the biggest privilege that you can have in this country is to be a citizen. That is, that is it. Without that, we can't even get to talking about, you know, other economic rights and things like that. We can't even get to talking about uh, rent stabilization. Without being a citizen, we're we're starting off. We're 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 at ground zero. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting when it comes to Democrats. Eighty-two percent of Democrats. This is in a poll. This is a Pew poll from t- September said it was important for the for the government to build a path to citizenship for immigrants uh, who are currently in the country illegally. And just 48% of Republicans said that it was important to create a path to citizenship. Well, 58% of Americans said they disapproved of Trump's handling of immigration. That number plunged to just 12% among Republicans. So only 12% of Republicans disapprove of Donald Trump's stances on immigration. And again, 58% of Americans as a whole disagree with with Donald Trump on immigration. And 82% of Democrats believe that we need a path to citizenship. So Donald Trump knows where his bread is buttered. And uh, you know, he loves his carbs. Mm -hmm. So he wants more bread and he loves his butter. I was going to say more like his Big Mac is buttered. His Big Mac is buttered. I don't think they butter the Big Mac. They just put the sesame seeds. He's the president. He can have it buttered if he wants. But why is this happening? That is exactly why. Donald Trump needs to keep that Republican base. He needs to keep that Republican coalition that he built of disaffected people, of uh, poor and rich, of people who just feel like the system is working against them. And this is an area that he continues to push. It just seems completely mean-spirited and misguided. And a lot of people might be wondering, why the hell is he doing this? It's because it works for him and his base. And that's all that he cares about obviously going forward in 2020. So DACA, we will continue to follow that story. Uh, We'll let you know what the Supreme Court decides. It should be in the relatively near future. 
And I truly hope we have a decision written by Sotomayor as opposed to Chief Justice Roberts. But with the Supreme Court the way it is right now, it's a very conservative court, without a doubt the most conservative court in my lifetime. I don't know. And I'm not holding too much. I'm not holding, uh, you know, these these are Donald Trump appointees. Mm. And when he does his vetting process, I guarantee you he talked to them about immigration. And uh, they must have passed some bizarre, bizarre test uh, uh, to get in his good graces to become a Supreme Court justice. So we will continue to follow that story. And hopefully it gets picked up by larger media sources. It's weird. It's it, like the way that the media covers things are so like pet projects. Mm-hmm. You know, like everything is like, oh, Docker, like that was very popular, I guess, in 2015 or something. Then the media just kind of moves on. It, I mean, it just goes and goes and goes like that, where they just sort of have like pet projects they talk about. And it means everything. It means the whole world. And then all of a sudden, it's like it never even happened. Mm-hmm. Because I have not heard anyone in... um Mainstream media, anyway, talking about that. All right. Well, let's talk just briefly here about the impeachment inquiry proceedings. How exciting are they? Thrilling. So, who is prosecuting this case? This is a dude named Adam Schiff. Okay, Adam Schiff. He's a Democrat, obviously. He's out of California. Uh, he is sort of, this is his moment to shine. So, these hearings, you're, he's the face that you're seeing. It's like a little peanut. He's like a, got a little peanut head, and he is the one who is you know, sort of in charge of the impeachment inquiry hearings. He's the one who's like, hey, let's get this person to testify. He is the one who lets the American people hear a certain testimony and not hear other testimony, which for me is extremely aggravating. So Marie Yanovanovich, uh, she was a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Uh, she lost her job. Basically, there was a big power struggle. Folks were like, hey, we don't think you're going to be able to cheat for us. And she's like, okay, I probably won't be able to cheat for you, so I'm going to dip out. So Adam Schiff called her. Uh, her testimony was compelling regarding what uh, Donald Trump is attempting to do in Ukraine with his own special interests and things like that, specifically when it comes to his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who wants to get down there and make a little bit of money for himself. He's actually now being investigated, Giuliani, that is, by the Southern District of New York. So who knows what the hell is going to happen. We didn't even talk about Roger Stone. Um, <laughs> Roger Stone, he's gone. Another but one bites the dust, Another baby. one bites the dust. Giuliani could be next. They're opening an investigation. So Adam Schiff, he talked Adam Schiff, he talked to uh, Yovanovitch. Uh, she mentioned how Donald Trump uh, and his... changing of Ukraine policy was the reason that she was ousted and she's no longer an ambassador. Basically, Donald Trump wanted to put the people in uh, that he liked the best. So you'll also be hearing from Hakeem Jeffries. Hakeem Jeffries is going to be the main guy that the Democrats are going to be using to sort of go out to the public. He's going to be giving the press conferences and he's going to be sort of telling the American people uh, what they should pay, what they should have paid attention to uh, during the hearings, and of course, again, the majority of these hearings are behind closed doors, and I hope that those doors open at some point soon. And then this entire thing will culminate once it goes to Gerald Nadler. Now, Jerry Nadler, who's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, Nadler oversees the drafting of impeachment articles, and he will hold the gavel for a committee vote to recommend an impeachment for uh, to the full House. Um, and then, of course, you have Donald Trump's line of defense, which is Devin Nunes, uh, Jim Jordan, um, Doug Collins, Mark Meadows. These people are basically on stage because that's exactly what it is, saying the entire thing is a sham because the majority of 
hearings are behind closed doors and because the ratings are low, as Mary alluded to earlier. So where we are at right now, when it comes to the polling data, over half of Americans do think that it's fine to go forward with the impeachment inquiry. It is, is it working for the Democratic Party at this point? I think people are still waiting. This is another moment for the Democrats to have, they better show something and it has to be extremely solid. They need firsthand information. Obviously, when it comes to uh, Yanovanovich, she was firsthand, not in not in context of the phone call with Zelensky, the Ukraine president, uh, but she was there when things were being shifted around. But what I thought was one of the more interesting uh, moments that got a little bit less press was this dude, David Holmes. He's a Kiev-based State Department aide. He told House lawmakers leading the impeachment inquiry that he overheard a July call between Trump and ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland. Now, this Sondland guy, you're going to start hearing Gordon Sondland's name a lot. And I know how exciting is that. Isn't the world so fun? Now, evidently, he asked Sondland if they had discussed efforts to pressure Ukraine to investigate in Joe Biden. Now, Holmes's opening statement was first obtained by CNN on Friday. Now, this this was a closed door statement. Uh, it provides the new firsthand information about Trump's role in pressuring Ukraine and also further highlights the role of Sondland. Now, Sondland, he is a former hotel magnate and Trump donor. Holmes is a political counsel in the U.S. Embassy in Kiev and an aide to Bill Taylor. Of course, you all recognize Bill Taylor's name because he already testified. Taylor mentioned Holmes witnessed the Trump-Sondland call during his opening statements in the first public impeachment hearing on Wednesday. In a sworn statement, Holmes explained that he overheard a conversation while sharing a bottle of wine with Sondland at a restaurant in Kiev on July 26, one day after Trump uh, pressured Ukrainian President Zelensky to investigate Biden. So this is according to what he overheard. Uh, according to Holmes, Trump asked Sondland, who had just come out of his own meetings with Zelensky, so he's going to investigate. That was what Trump said. So he's going uh, to do the investigation. And this is exactly what Sondland said. Sondland responded by saying that, quote, Zelensky loves your ass. Isn't that <laughs> nice? And that he would pursue an investigation and that he would do anything you ask him to. And that's what happens when you withhold $400 million in military aid and Javelin missiles. So I feel like the Tomes testimony was... Some of the more impactful testimony, and again, we didn't really get to see it um, because everything was done behind a closed door, and I really hope that those doors open up so then the American people can make an informed decision because what the government is doing right now or what the Democrats are doing right now, this trickle-down of information, it just reminds me of Mueller 2.0, and you got to keep momentum going here if you want this to go forward. And of course, if they do end up deciding to um, vote on articles of impeachment, he will be impeached in the House. He will not be found guilty in the Senate because there's no way they're going to get two-thirds of the Senate. That would They would take 22 Republicans to switch. And as we've been learning throughout this episode and episodes in the past, the Republicans are behind Donald Trump. And they are tying their political future to Donald Trump, and they simply will not vote to impeach or remove Donald Trump. So it is extremely possible Donald Trump is an impeached president running for re-election in 2020. Now, a lot of people have some confusion on that. Impeachment does not mean that you leave office. It is The, the House can just vote to impeach, and the Senate has to uh, convict. So it is extremely possible uh, that Donald Trump 
wins re-election as an impeached president. There's nothing in the rules that said that can't happen. Of course, when we had the classy Nixon era, remember how classy Nixon was? The idea of being impeached made Richard Nixon uh, resign. And Donald Trump is now using this impeachment inquiry as he's tweeting out on a regular basis during the inquiry because he loves his must-see TV. He is using this as a political motivator for his fan base, for his political fan base. So it is a different world, to say the least. So check out, listen to the Dave Holmes testimony, or read the Dave Holmes testimony, because I think that that is going to be, uh, that is interesting. That's firsthand account. You know, a lot, a lot of the criticism right now of, like, Bill Taylor, and even, you know, Yovanovitch, she was not on the call. She was just there. She understand, She understood that, like, they're doing some, sh- uh, some shady stuff over here, and obviously they don't want me to be in the way of them doing shady things. But this Holmes character, uh, he has firsthand knowledge, and I think that's what the American people really want to hear. They want to hear firsthand knowledge because that is what's going to resonate with the American people. I mean, what do you think, Mary? Are you are you being compelled right now? Man, I'm tired. I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm tired of the whole goddamn thing. It's only um, been going on for like a month. <sighs> Strap here, in. You know? No, I hear you. I think the American people are tired. I think a lot of people are tired. Well, that's the whole thing. I and think- it's, it's also, it's a little convoluted. Even in my head, I'm trying to keep everything together. And I think I know what I'm talking about. For the most part, I do. But it, there's a lot of moving pieces here, and it's still happening. It's still going. It's still a living, breathing thing. So even when I put this on Twitter today, I was like, I'm going to talk about the impeachment inquiry. And people are like, I want to hear what you have to say. And I'm like, hey, man, I know we all know the exact same amount other than I do have my insiders. Yeah. But we all basically know the exact same amount. And it is, you know, it is going to, it's going to take a while before this entire thing is resolved. And I just hope that Adam Schiff at some point opens up the doors and we can hear from these witnesses. I want firsthand accounts. And I think that's what the American people want too. And Donald Trump is going to be using this. He's already raising boatloads of money because of the impeachment. We live in a time where the president has no shame. So the president's just leaning in. I mean, if you watch the ads when we go to the when we travel all around this fine country and world of ours, but mainly the country in this case, when I'm in the hotel and I see the political ads, it's all impeachment. And those are pro Donald Trump ads. Right. The whole thing is they're trying to undo democracy. They're trying to take away a vote that he was a duly elected president. That is their message. So mm-hmm. this impeachment, it's going it, it's a sword that cuts both ways. I think I'm mostly exhausted by it because I feel like, uh, again, this all just plays in, like you said, it's very easy for Donald Trump to interpret this into a positive message to his base because he ran originally on a platform that, you know, the government is corrupt and that there's... They're all out to get you. And the fact that so much of the proceedings are behind closed doors, which I know is a necessity, but I think it's very easy for him to roll this into... I know it's not appro- it's not appropriate in a political sense, but his brand. It's perfect for his brand. Yeah. This is the deep state trying to undo a president. That's the messaging. Right. You listen to Hannity. You listen to uh, Laura Ingram. Uh, these people, you couldn't even see. You, I hope you could hear my eye roll when I said Laura Ingram's name. Uh, but that is the message. Right. And so I just we have to remember, if you want Donald Trump to not be president, you have got to vote him out of office. That is the only way it's going to happen. Yep. So the impeachment inquiry is cute. I think we're going to learn a lot, but it's also like we know he's corrupt. We know this man, you don't make it in real estate in New York. You don't go bankrupt four times unless you have some skeletons in your closet and some bodies hidden somewhere. 
You don't work in Atlantic City. You don't own a casino in AC without being a corrupt dude. That is just a reality. So I'm not learning anything. We already know. Like, I feel like this, it would be, if, if Donald Trump, going back, let's say he was a Jimmy Carter type. He he mar- he branded himself Why would a peanut you do farmer. That to Jimmy Carter? Let's just say he's so nice. Let's just say that he, poor man. He branded himself as a peanut farmer, and then all of a sudden you have this impeachment inquiry, and you're like, oh my god, military aid. He's helping out the Russians. That would be stunning. But in the case of Trump, it's just like we know, we know, right. And there's a lot of things that need to get done in this country as well. Um, but of course, the uh, the Senate, even if the House does end up passing. Um, Articles of impeachment, uh, the Senate, I do not believe, will go with it. But anyway, so check out, listen to David Holmes, and then, of course, this Sondland character. Uh, he is going to be extremely important when it comes to uh, what Donald Trump said, when it comes to his conversation with Zelensky, and when it comes to investigating the Bidens. And don't forget, Zelensky loves your ass, Donald. Isn't that sweet? And what a big ass it is to love. All right. And just lastly, Roger Stone was found guilty on all seven counts of lying to uh, Congress. It was a federal charge. Donald Trump is going to pardon him, uh, but he's probably going to get like one to two years in prison. And then a lot of people on Twitter were like Lawrence O'Donnell. He was funny. He said, Richard Nixon is finally going to jail on the back of Roger Stone. And I said, Lawrence O'Donnell, you are funny. You were the fourth estate. So funny. Thank you for your show on MSNBC. Just nailing it all the time. The thing is, is just like, I think that prison would only make Roger Stone stronger. He's just going to unionize a riot. He's He's just going to organize a riot. He's going to learn new fun cons. Yeah, he's he's going to be a better criminal after it. He is looking at significant time, but I think it's around 50 years. Uh, But it'll probably be closer to like one to two years. And again, these are federal charges. So Donald Trump can pardon him. Uh, his boy Paul Manafort, on the other hand, those were state charges. So Donald Trump cannot pardon him. Uh, the president can only pardon federal charges. So in a way, Roger Stone kind of got lucky. In he a straight, does. he always does. He always ends. He always lands on his dick. I don't know what happens with the guy. But anyway, Paul Manafort's truly in prison for a long time. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mary, for being on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. That was so much fun. Let me know what you think. You can tweet at me, at Ben Kissel. I look at it every now and again. But also, Ben Kissel one on Instagram. I like Instagram better. Send me pictures. That's what I like. I like to see pictures of dogs and food. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother, Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost.